Rebecca Sands, next top model. It's Nunu Parish, y'all. And I just want the social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. Bow down, bitches, is Raffi. And this is Wait, Wait Don't, Don't Do it. it, the show we tell you to Wait! Please welcome our special guest, Sabina Granarova. Yes! Hi, everyone. Thank Wait. you guys so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. We are kicking off our interview series and it has been such a great role so far and you are just adding to this momentum this wait don't do it takeover yes how are you feeling right now Sabina? to be honest a little nervous but super excited okay. I think this is a great conversation to happen I think this is a very valuable place to be and a conversation to have so we're mm. excited what you guys got in, in mind I no, love it I'm excited I think uh, what our goal today is to just Take a deeper look at the female experience, because obviously me and Nunu, <laughs> Nunu, while she's a queen of sorts, uh, we're both men, and we carry marital privilege, so I didn't feel comfortable having a conversation about feminism without women in the room. Um, and we also want to take a deeper look at the international and immigrant level, you know, because we that's also a story that's underrepresented right now as well. So... Are we ready to dive in? Everyone ready? Yeah. I'm, I'm born ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sabina. So as you know, in our podcast, we're looking at childhood. So take us back. Where did it all begin? Yeah. So I was born in a tiny little village in Uzbekistan. Americans know it as Uzbeki Beki Stan Stan Stan. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that puts it down low, honey. And, uh, yeah, it was an interesting childhood. Obviously very poor, um, very different culture, predominantly Muslim, post-Soviet so it was an interesting time to be born. After some time, I, you know, moved to Russia with my mom, and uh, from Russia, I'm here now. Wow, wow. So you are an only child. You have siblings. What? I do. You know, it always gets messy when parents divorce. So my dad has two uh, children, both girls, and my mom uh, remarried and... Thank God she didn't have a <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mama. <laughs> it's okay, Mama. Yeah. You still look great, girl. <laughs> so I'm the only child between my dad and my mom. Um, yeah, and, you know, the entire childhood experience also, I'm kind of grateful that I am the only one there. I'm happy that you both did and decided not to have any other children. So. Mm. What's the connection you have with your two sisters right now, your half-sisters? I actually don't talk to them. Mm. Yeah, they're still currently living in Uzbekistan, and we've been away from each other for a really long time, which I think changes a lot in a relationship yeah. when you grow up in a different context, right? So they grew up their entire life in Uzbekistan, and I've been in the United States for 10 years. Right. Even if we would meet sitting together at the table, we would have a really hard time talking. Mm. Yeah. Wow, wow. Okay. So, thinking about your early childhood memories, what is something that really stands out to you? Mm. Well, I just came back from Central Asia, so that was really refreshing my memory of the region. Oh, yeah, you took a nice yeah. trip. You were gone for how long again? Two weeks, yeah. like four countries. That's she was great. taking pictures, it yeah. was stunning. Uzbekistan is the next time out for real, for real. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorites was that salt thing. I thought it was snow. Oh, yeah, he yes. was gagged by that. Yeah, he showed me. I was like, when I saw it on Instagram, I'm like, I have to go there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the region itself is just so beautiful. Obviously, all the fresh fruits and vegetables mm. you just eat until you pass out because everything is 100% more delicious than you can find anywhere in the United States. That's the biggest thing that I really miss. Culture is also very very calm and very chill. Everyone mm. really doesn't rush or as not as career-oriented as people in the United States. So you see a lot of men and women just chilling on the street. Mm. Children playing on the street. It's much safer community, collective kind of environment. That's something mm. that always stuck in my mind. Wow. So going back to baby Lil Sabina uh, with light in her eyes and growing up in uh, Uzbekistan, what were the early representations of femininity or confidence in a female? What, were, what did you take notice about that? I think what was so interesting is that Soviet time really embraced a lot of women mm. in Central Asia, where majority oh. of women in Central Asia were basically wives, period. Uh, and so bo being born right after Soviet time, my grandma was like a history teacher. She was leading. She was a single mother household. My mom, you know, she was a doctor. She was pretty prestigious space to be in the community. People trusted her and welcomed her. So women there got a lot of 
certain kind of powers, mm -hmm. right? Power of being um, a reputable source, whether it comes to knowledge or healthcare. Mm -hmm. So that was really powerful to see. A lot of people reach out for them when they really needed that. A lot of vulnerable men, when they were really hurt by either emotional sense or physical sense, they would reach out for my mom for that kind uh -huh. of thing too. So they offered that kind of sense of comfort. But of course, it was many more negative drawings from yeah. being in Central Asia, growing up in Central Asia, watching both parents, watching single house, my grandma and single household, my mom, kind of trying to bring children in life and support themselves and others. It was a very difficult time for them. Did it correlate to body image or what a female looked like? 100%, especially in Russia. When we moved to Russia, that, that body hostility really started. In Central Asia, everyone was kind of like, oh, cool, if you're a little plump, like, you probably have a great life, like, it's good, everyone is great. And the outfits, too, I think, because predominantly Muslim culture, they kind of had more baggier outfits. Mm -hmm. You couldn't really display a lot of your sexuality in the right. sense where people in Russia were doing. And people in Russia were dressing up to go, like, throw trash, right? Yeah. Or if you want to buy a piece of bread, you need to put full face on high heels. Yeah. <laughs> or a piece of bread. Um, I'm not sure why that huge distinguishing factor came in place. I wonder, because there's so much more women in Russia than men, women do feel that pressure. Um, and the culture itself, more toxic. So I did notice, especially being, you know, that kind of adolescent girl in Russia, when you just start forming your body image and people come at you for being too tall or you didn't grow boobs or your ass was too flat and mm. people are coming after you for that. Yeah. That really... I'm sure Nunu can relate to that. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm really just thinking it's really it's just really interesting. So then, how did you, as a child, begin to construct a feminist identity? Y'all can't see it, but she has a feminist sticker on and sister Honey. stickers on. So she is coming deck to ready to talk about feminism. But what were those first moments in childhood and adolescence? Yeah, I think. So that's something always going to be with me, right? I recognize that my like feminine put out there, like the mm -hmm. what I, the way I look and I choose to do my nails or my hair or put makeup on, comes from the way I'm brought up. Like I wish I didn't have that mm -hmm. kind of assigned label on me, but this is just the way I was brought in and feels it feels comfortable, it feels good, but it is definitely heavily enforced by magazines I was reading. Like on my thirteenth birthday. My mom gave me this encyclopedia of mm. how to be a good woman, oh. including like what to do, how to seduce a man, and how to cook, and how to take care of your period, and how to uh, saw little things to your dress to make it fit better. And that really was cornerstone to my like feminine, like feminine side of me, right? Mm. My voice and my behavior and my uh, like manifestation of my identity, especially being woman into reality right now by wearing dresses and doing nails, like I said, did come from that kind of book how, and all the other experiences. Honey, how to bag a man in 10 minutes. How to yeah. do so, so. <laughs> And you know there's advice. Yeah. You need to stick your little label of your T-shirt up so he uh -huh. feels tempted to... Tuck it back in, and that's how you seduce a man. I'm interested. I um I was gonna ask you because bring talking about confidence and all that kind of stuff. I want to really analyze in 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 your more in like because that would really leave an impression on you as a child to read all that. Do you feel like confidence sometimes your image of female confidence might uh, be correlated to a man's gaze because a man's gaze is so prevalent. I, mean, I know in Latino culture as well, and that's kind of always taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, even when <laughs> Nunu gets ready for our podcast, I realize that I have this like thing where I'm like, no, no, keep keep the keep the wig on, even though it might be uncomfortable for her. Right. I <laughs> I start feeling like hard. I feel like I have some sort of saying what she should be doing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it's just so inherent that I don't even notice I do it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's the same thing where I don't even notice I'm doing my nails and putting the dress on because it's so inherited in us. Yeah. I remember this one time I bought this very nice shoes and they had tiny little heel. Mm -hmm. It was my first high heels in my life. Mm -hmm. I was walking down in Uzbekistan being so proud of myself, <laughs> crossing the street, like stumbling, you know, yeah. for the first time. Yeah. And my dad was walking by me and he saw me wearing shoes and I was like, oh, he's going to be so proud of me, like me manifesting my female self. And he was like, oh, what are you wearing? You can't even wear these. Oh my God, you're like failing at walking in them. Like, what the fuck mm -hmm. is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And that was oh such an impactful memory, right? That I was failing in my femininity and the man was there to say, am I doing a good job or bad job? 
And it was since then, like, it was always that way. Mm-hmm. It was either my skirt was too short or I was not wearing bra when I was supposed to, even till this day. I was walking down the street just yesterday with no bra on, and the man stopped me and said, excuse me, ma'am. He was so nice about it. I turned around in D.C. I turned around and he's like, do you have milk in those titties? I was mind blown. I remember you would tell because this is not the first time Sabrina has told me things like, like this in her experiences in DC. Right. But um, and I remember telling you like I just I know like I feel like this is why we're having this conversation. I want to know how we can like have that conversation, take that moment, and then learn so we can like be ready, stay ready, so you don't gotta be re- get ready. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And because I noticed that these things are going to be triggers and then that what he just said could affect your self-image for that day or for, you know, it's just. And I thought, I'm like, should I turn around and tell this man that because of him, a lot of women, not just me, but many other women don't feel safe on the street. But I mean, can I change the style? Yeah, but but I, that is something that I kind of, because I ride my bike now and people try me all the time and I'm like, I'm so tempted to fuck them up sometimes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I know I'm like, but then I'm going to be crazy or, or then I'm going to, I silence myself and then I wonder where that's coming from and that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But on the other side, just to give international perspective, yeah. I was in Barcelona mm-hmm. and in Barcelona and Italy and in Europe, a lot of times women don't wear makeup, don't wear bra, and right. fine. And the catcalling and male gaze, particularly in Italy and Barcelona sometimes too, is a very normal thing, right? It, the, it's almost enforced by a woman to say, why don't you catcall on me? Do I not look good today? Interesting. Like, it is something that uh, a respectable man will always catcall women to let her know. That, that she's great looking today. And women anticipate and expect that, and they demand this from other men as a sense of, like, what's wrong with you if you're not kept calling me? And the majority yeah. don't have an issue with that toxic mm-hmm. masculinity at all. Mm-hmm. And I wonder where is this coming from? Because the intention between catcalling is very different, right? If a man says, hey, girl, you look pretty today, in the United States, from my understanding... A lot of men would come from, oh, like, I want to fetishize you. Mm -hmm. I want to make you feel like you need my approval. And I wonder if in Europe it might vary differently. It might come from the place of, like, I want to give you a compliment because you do look great. And it comes from this very uh, non-possessive place. And a lot of women do recognize that and actually demand that sometimes. So I just think it's so fascinating to see how some women are totally grossed out for a random, for you know legit reason and in other places women actually demand that. I wonder if the violence against women is, is similar in the United States as it is in, in Europe. Exactly. And it is not just violence against women, it's a woman's place in society. Right. Women in Europe is placed in a you know relatively equal place to a man. And mm-hmm. so I think that catcalling is perceived from a much more equal, non-hostile place. Because women are so much comfortable, they're like, you're not going to hurt me, I'm feeling so much safe in my environment, that I'm not going to bother about catcalling, and I'm going to enjoy it, actually. Versus here, and we talked about in the other episode, but, you know, this idea that females in this country do have to be aware and fearful, because at any time, something literally could happen, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. And that's... Yeah. It's interesting, because I always hear about how great, and, like... We like we don't talk about these kinds of things that Americans do uh, in like inter- in international dialogue. Like they always like really harp on how we are too PC, but I think it there that really uh, challenges PC culture challenges their image of what gender constructs and how you treat gender relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why they kind of push that idea. idea like those conversations haven't been had. Mm-hmm. And another question I have because this, you said I don't understand how I can. How it can go from, I'm so disgusted by catcalling, but I can find so much pleasure in it. Mm-hmm. You have to think, how many international female figures that are strong, powerful, and independent are there compared to maybe even American? I think, I think and we've maybe... we've seen that yeah. in culture between the Bridget Nielsen's and yeah. the other kind of people from other countries. They come in, they're very like, mm-hmm. this is my body, this is not yeah. control. Yeah. Right, and it's very different than yeah. our, our females. And it will be interesting, and I don't know the answer to this, it will be interesting to see how the history books compare, right? Yeah. Does the European history yes. books feature a lot of women that are bold and empowered mm-hmm. versus does American history feature... I'm, I'm, I don't think there's one country has more than the other. I think both countries or both regions have mm-hmm. equal representation of women in science and whatever, but does that represent it in their history? 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting you brought Bridget Nelson. I know you don't know who Bridget Nelson is, but she is um, uh, Where was she Flavor Flay's. Yeah, look it up. Flavor Flay's um, ex girlfriend just for the show, or no? Okay, so they met in yeah. also real life, and they had a whole show. But she was known for being in oh my god, what's that one movie? But she was with Sylvester Stallone. I don't know if you ever seen him. She's Danish. Oh, she's crazy. She was very strong and powerful, but somehow she still managed to get herself in a relationship in a, in a show. So I wonder, like, I, and that relationship was so tumultuous because you have to remember how Flavor Flav was, and then you know you saw we all saw Flavor of Love, right? And how like they butt heads all the time. It was weird because Flavor Flav, I know Sabina's like <laughs> what, but Flavor Flav had a whole show about just. Miss being misogynic and like picking on these women and going on dates, you know, the she, bachelor kind of stuff, but it was even worse. And she ran to that. Right, but but they were together. It was never like that. They were both just battling for power and equality. It was like you're going on a show when you want girls to submit to you, but the woman you love is more powerful oh, and dominant. Yeah. So it, it, there was some interesting in dichotomies here. I want to go back to go your childhood a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, what influences did your father or other male figures then have on the way you expressed yourself? I think it's obviously it's a pretty good question that's very broad in terms of there's so many different influences that various different behaviors had. And so I think just in general seeking approval from a man is a pretty big one. And being always of a servitude, I think that was a pretty common. I think a lot of women, not just me, and from my personal experience, I've always been kind of that escape goat labor person you go to or you ask them to do the dishes and take care of the yard. And, you know, in my case, which was unfortunate, that my father not only didn't encourage me positively, but actually reinforced negatively a lot mm. of the behavior that I did not do because I was... I wanted to play or read a book, and he was like, clean the floors. Um, So with being negatively enforced for not obeying servitude, kind of had fingerprints throughout the behavior till this day, right? And constantly looking for um, kind of opportunity for servitude um, and finding reassurance within other people's approval or disapproval, I think is a pretty, Mm. pretty strong thing that stems from a lot of childhood, a lot of male figures enforcing that. Because I don't remember my mom ever enforcing this, although she also told me yeah. what to do, you know. And just to reference Bridget one more time, you said that uh, their, uh, again, their moral standings, what they saw, how they viewed the world did not correlate how they treated it or the partners they would choose. Um, do you find that, like I said, you, I, I recall you just not liking to do emotional labor for men, because that's annoying. It's just, if, for me, as a person of color, it feels like doing emotional labor for white people when they do microaggressions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but do you find yourself still willing to do it so, at, ready at hand? Which is so interesting that you asked that question. I think that that need for servitude for a man kind of manifested itself in my life through a pendulum swing. I would either do way too much of it and feel over-invested or would absolutely refuse to do anything and go so far of, like, standing my ground that was unhealthy. Balance is hard, right? Yeah, Yeah. balance is hard. Yeah. For me, so. And deconstructing, like, where is this coming from? Why am I resisting so hard or why am I, like, obeying and doing so much of that kind of labor uh, never resulted in, like, a good good productive conversation always kind of leads to how do we find balance and how do we work from there? And I ask that because we have so many things in our, in our society that tell us that if a woman is doing things that we don't consider immoral, stripping, sex work, mm-hmm. that they have daddy issues, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have positive relationships with men. Mm-hmm. And is there truth to that? Hell yeah. <laughs> of course. I mean, obviously, every woman needs to go through deconstructing their own uh, motivations. And it might not just be a daddy per se. I think just in general, parents are important. Mm-hmm. And regardless of whether you want it or not, I think it's important to recognize their influence on you, on mm-hmm. your future behavior. Mm-hmm. Um which I think I rejected for a long time. I thought, oh, like, yeah, my dad did these awful things or said these awful things, but I'm much better. Like, yeah. they, don't, they don't impact me in any way, mm-hmm. but they do impact. And I think it's important to recognize where are these motivations are coming from. Have you started to, because in the, in the, in the I've learned forgiveness <laughs> through uh, my therapy journey. I know that you're going to therapy mm-hmm. now, too. 
Have you started deconstructing? Because I know one thing my therapist told me, you have to see people as imperfect people, yeah. um, including your parents. Mm-hmm. And again, That's social construct, social construct mm-hmm. tell you your parents should be there regardless. They shouldn't hurt Seeing you. Seeing human is just such a, a struggle when you mm-hmm. become older because you're like, oh, they're so yeah. terrible, but you're not supposed to be. But Have you come closer to seeing your parents, but more, more so your father, as an imperfect human yet? You know, right before I went to see him, I told that to my therapist. I'm so like, you did hey, see him in this trip? Um, yeah. Okay. I was like, hey, I'm going to see my dad. I haven't seen him for 13 years. These are the awful things he did. 13 years. 13 years. Wow. Ago. And wow. she told me, she's like, make sure you look at him as a as an individual with its own yeah. flaws. Don't be a child looking at your father. Look as an individual mm-hmm. to individual. And I'm like, I got it. Of course. I figured out, sure, that sounds great. And I went and I saw, and, you know, I was able to do some of that, but mm-hmm. it is so hard. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. some things that they say, the them saying it as a father figure or a mother figure or parent figure in general will get under your skin because mm-hmm. it's just the real nature of the relationship. You know, and it's easy to say when, oh, just relax about someone who mistreated you on the street. Sure, that's easy to do. But when it's a parent... It usually requires so much more labor and reconstructive mm-hmm. kind of work around that relationship. I wonder, and we asked our other guests this, but how is, in your language, what how is feminism treated? Are there words for feminism? Is it gendered language? Oh, I'm wondering too. kind of how that plays a role. Yeah, linguistically. They're so socially acceptable. So I... Or taboo. Something that I've learned is that I think a lot of people of Eastern European descent are really scared of feminism. A lot of women, particularly, I think men enforce that idea too. Right. You are like men hater. Because it's also something new and you have to show up. Yeah. As a woman, you've been told to, you know, show up for a man, but show up for yourself. Mm -hmm. That's a different thing. And I know for myself, I would show up for my friends way before I would show up. For myself, mm-hmm. right, and I think that that must be a huge fear mm-hmm. through this. Yeah, no, they're very scared to take on label. Yeah. Although they're like, yeah, I believe in equality. I think I should be making as much as man. I think I should be, you know, taking all the leadership roles I want. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a feminist. No, no, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. And it was such a bizarre thing. So. I understand where the hiccup comes from. You know, I think there's a lot of label assigned to that man-hater mm. aspect of a lot of women that do practice that, you know, like unreasonable violence against men that is not mm. justifiable in any way, and they do label themselves as a feminist. Mm. Because there's already such a strong association, They, the Eastern European culture needed to redefine their own feminism. Mm. And what they call it is, they call it a Russian feminism, yeah. a Russian version of the feminism. Yeah. Like, Although it is the same, they right. literally call it Ruski feminism. And it's like the same. The values are the same. The inherent, like, you be you and you do whatever you want. There should not be any restriction based on a gender right. kind of thing. They still obey to that, but they refuse to put a different label. Which, you know, to some extent, I'm happy. I'm like, if it helps you to stay true to an actual value system, call it whatever the fuck you want. As long as you advocate for equality between genders and opportunities for a female to be mm. whatever they want to be. Absolutely. So let's take us to what led you to immigrating to the United States. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I hated it. I did not want to do that. <laughs> what was the first like, you were thing you thought that yeah. you had? Yeah. Like, I was 17. All my friends were in Russia. The boy toy I was do- dating was in <laughs> Russia. Imagine just taking all of your friends and then just removing them or erasing them. Right? But also, I feel like losing that boy toy yeah. must have been hard for a young it, girl. We tried. That's we, been... Yeah, we really tried, but obviously distance and... I mean, that's a long way. But you tried to keep it. Yeah, we were trying to keep it for six or seven months. Young babies are so cute. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible only when you have the end date, right? You know, like, I'll wait for you to come back on this date. But you're still here. Yeah, like, he had no date. I had no date to go back. Um, But I'm obviously, every year more and more, I realize how amazing to be in a country that values me for my body, values me for my ideas. There's a lot to work, but there is a lot that has been done that helps me to manifest myself in all the ways. What kind of love did the 17-year-old Sabina get from that boy? And what kind of love does Sabina now get from men? And what kind of love Mm -hmm. are you... uh, How has your love evolved from those? I think it just flipped, like, 180, because... When I just started dating, it was very much constructed around the idea of, like, 
daddy issue, typical, I need a strong man to take care of me, and I'm just going to serve and cook all the meals for him. Mm. Uh, Not that I don't like that now. (laughs) (laughs) By now, I'll do it naked. (laughs) naked. Um, It's just much more, it's revolved in a much more complex mechanism of of rewards and benefits Mm -hmm. that um, I seek from my partners. And I think that's something that, I personally really appreciate now that I'm not only I'm able to identify a, a person that will treat me fair and will look at me for what I am and will take me with all my fucked up things and all the great things mm-hmm. that I am. Um, just identifying that was like a big yeah. part and being able to manifest yourself through that relationship, being a good partner in return, and then really setting the different expectations and different boundaries around it. Mm-hmm. What you're willing to do, how much respect you need and how much respect your partner needs and having that kind of conversation. That did not happen. 17-year-old Sabina. How does that develop? As your love evolved, did your acceptance of moving to America evolve as well? Or did you accept America way before you started like having that evolution? No, I think as I moved, I realized what America really is. Where did you move to when you first came? Council Bluffs, Iowa. What's so up? Hello. <laughs> Why Iowa? <laughs> <laughs> up in the, up in the yes. 401. There are cows, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why Iowa? So you go to Russia to Iowa. So I know. I For know. what? <laughs> to further traumatize me. No, um, we had gay marriage early on, so I'm letting you know. I know, but I'm asking you, like, I'm, I want to know what environment, how it felt for you when you first came yeah. you went to Iowa. You came for school, right? Yeah, so, well, the way, the way I got into the United States is my mom remarried an American man. Okay. Um, and he lived in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the reason. And, you know, I thought they were joking. The minute I got off the plane, it was, like, dark at night, so, like, we just went home and I slept, and in the morning, I woke up. And I'm looking around. Like, when you are a foreigner looking at America from the outside, you think every city looks like L.A. or New York. York. Yeah, yeah. And my ass is waking up in the middle of a farm. There are five cows, and I see no building around. Was it cold already? Or was it it like like two months of summer? Yeah, it was summertime. And... I'm, I'm just hearing crickets, and I'm like, you guys are joking, right? You probably took me to countryside Russia yeah. and tricking me into thinking <laughs> I'm in America, yeah, right? That's hilarious. And I'm like, very funny, Mom. Okay, like, you probably were joking. And then there's a moment when you step outside of a new country, and the air smells different. Oh. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't smell like Russia anymore. That smells like foreign country I have no clue about. And that's what kind of reinforced my idea. Holy fuck. Compare the smells now. <laughs> yeah. And like as I traveled, right, yeah. it totally, it, it's yeah. like the minute you step out of the airplane, you're like in yeah. Yale and you're like, whoop, that's yeah. a different country. Yeah. Yeah. So how was, so you come to uh, United States, you're in Iowa, and now you have to deal with another male. Mm-hmm. How was, how was that? It was empowering, but also oppressing in its own different ways. It was empowering in the sense that the my stepdad believed in a lot of things I could do. He mm-hmm. gave me a lot of opportunities to uh-huh. travel and you know see United States and uh, told me that I can choose whatever I want. I mean, the system in the United States also in, in general is very um, acceptable to augmentation, whether it is school system, right, whether it is your wardrobe. So in collaboration with what he was saying and what I, I saw from the culture in school, uh, it was very positive experience that I don't have to confine to a, that box that I've created for myself, an obedient, cute-looking woman that listens to everything that people say. Um, and as I progressed from Iowa to D.C., to Boston, to D.C., uh, talking and having conversations with other people kind of crafted my feminist perspective uh, to an extent that actually made me reject my stepdad after some time because I realized although wow. he was feminist, he was not feminist enough. He was not giving me enough freedom. I was looking at me enough of what I wanted it that yeah, that kind of interfered. His uh, his rhetoric didn't match his actions. Yeah, it's rhetoric. It's it's uh, perspective. I mean, when an American man looking for Eastern European woman, there's probably something wrong. How do you say that? Bottom line. But also, <laughs> for our listeners that don't are not familiar with feminists enough, because I can get what you mean by that. Just a simple thing that you feel like you should be able to do and a man tells you not mm-hmm. to. But describe what is feminine enough for you. Where does, because I feel like people's lines of, fem, of feminism are sometimes skewed. Uh, you'll care about one element of feminism or you'll uh, really take into heart one element of feminism but, you know, kind of be lazy days go about the others. Mm-hmm. So what actions did he 
represent to you that were just like, uh uh-uh, that I can't take it. Because, you know, him, like, joking about how your your booty is bouncy can be one thing, and then Mm -hmm. another was, like, you can't go out at night Mm -hmm. past a certain time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Different. Yeah, I think what you said kind of touches on that, because there's a lot of narrative around what you shouldn't do and what you should do. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's a bottom line. Like, if you are telling me what I should not do and what I should do, I think it just violates my kind of freedom and personal personal aspirations that I might have. And being from Russia or Uzbekistan, you know what feels unfree. Mm -hmm. Or you know what feels Mm -hmm. unlimited because it doesn't sit right. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And it doesn't sit right when other people look at you and view you in their own oppressive ways. If a man looks at you and says, you are good for this thing, so this is what you should be doing, this is what you should not be doing, and that's not how you envision yourself, there is obviously a discrepancy, and that discrepancy is probably coming from toxic masculinity or yeah. just the culture that we're living in, or the discrepancy when you know my feminist ideas grew past you know what he was imagining for me to be, mm. and my mom including. Right? Both of yeah. us kind of got... Uh, brought in, were amazed, and got liberated further than he would have to offer, mm. and then we moved. <laughs> uh, okay. So when did you adopt this label, feminist? Oh, that's a good question. When did you come out? I don't know. Did you come out? <laughs> <laughs> this label? Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really know, to be honest. I think an understanding of sexuality came to me first, and then okay. the feminist uh, identity came after that. Because when you come from Uzbekistan and Russia to the United States, and, you know, even though it was Iowa, but we've seen many gay people that mm-hmm. were very comfortable. To me, that was shocking. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, wow, like, if people could really manifest themselves the way they envision for themselves, they what they want, like, what does it mean for me? Yeah. And then I remember my friend was writing her uh, high school thesis on <laughs> is being gay a choice or like a just a, right. you know mm-hmm. a, something that you come to terms with with your own psyche. Um, she found out about that. Oh my God, it's not a choice. People actually are born this way. And I was sitting there. I'm like, oh my God, that this shook in my entire life and how I look at my own gender, my own identity. And I was like, okay, like if people are born this way and they have the rights to be liberated in whatever ways they choose to why can't I do that and so kind of trailed down into my own identity okay like if I define myself a woman what does it mean to me and how much does that go towards society and against society mm-hmm. and that was really that's a because we talked about science. males so much I was wondering like what was your relationship with females then from mm-hmm. now I mean from Russia to here like yeah. how are you interacting with females was it like we're all free or is it, did you still have some of those prejudices or concepts that maybe were not so I think the most constructive and healthy relationships with women I've had I've had in the United States I think even the friendships that I formed in Uzbekistan and Russia were very much informed by competition yeah and this constant struggle to impress and seek reassurance that hits home for me in Nunu because gays are always in competition with each other. And it stems from our, again, we, we had to see ourselves through powerful women. Mm-hmm. And we take on, again, that, that feeling that women are competitive with each other. And I'm interested to see how your relationships are now. Like, I know you must have a sisterhood, but how's your relationship with women? Mm-hmm. Do you still find yourself, like, because someone's a woman, you automatically start finding competition or comparisons? Mm-hmm. How does that so manifest? You know, it's so funny. A friend of mine asked me yesterday, who do you think is the prettiest girl in our circle? <gasps> <laughs> and you know, and I mean, she didn't mean anything. I was just like, I, and who got me? me. <laughs> if you got to ask, then you ain't the one. <laughs> I, I paused, and I was like, I don't know if <laughs> I'm looking at my female friends anymore. Right, right. Because I don't I mean, care about that. I mean, we come in the meat yeah. girl culture, and that's a big part of gay culture. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for the United States, there's our media, right? The girls being queen bee and mm-hmm. being like, you have to yeah. be pretty, and there's always that mean girl, and it's like, it's bad, but everyone mm-hmm. likes it. It's yeah. weird. 
And it was it was really uh, that was a moment when I reflected and I was like, why don't I have this lens anymore? Because at some point I did. At some point I definitely was like, oh, oh, so <laughs> oh my gosh, she has this and she has that. And I definitely see certain features of my female friends that I really appreciate. Right? right. Like I have a friend that has this like amazing sense of empowerment in her job, and I have a friend who has a gorgeous has hair, mm-hmm. and I have a girl who has this amazing you know like physique to her, like she's very fit and mm-hmm. like healthy so all the I notice all these things but I wouldn't say oh this is like the prettiest girl that I know Um, of course all of us are still very much operate on this kind of fundamental pretty uh, worthy kind of equation Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's 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 important to notice these these things when we operate it seems like you're able to see your friends as imperfect people because you have to accept like that's that was problematic but you know you're, you're willing to roll with the punches and kind mm-hmm. of uh have a conversation to kind of not make that conversation a normal thing anymore mm-hmm. um and it takes accepting them as imperfect people to, to get there yeah. how could you use that to kind of mend or kind of heal the hurt that you feel with your father mm-hmm. i think creating and cultivating supporting circle is important. Mm. Not only for me to look at people as they're imperfect, but make sure that they look at me the same way. Make sure that if I come and I say, holy fuck, I fucked up so much that I can find reconciliation and they hold that space for me to fail and fuck up and and treat them bad and then treat, you know, they could treat me bad sometimes. And I think there's so much from that space that we all grow. Like the other day, a friend of mine actually gave me a remark. It was a very constructive kind of point of opportunity for me. And she's like, hey, I don't appreciate when you do that. And you know, first of all, I'm like, how dare she? (laughs) And then I thought about it and I was like, holy fuck, that is like the healthiest friend I've ever had. And that was a a female friend of mine that was so vulnerable and so open and so like, honest with me that she wanted so much love for me and I was like that's the person that I want in my life and that's yeah. the relationships I want to cultivate because when shit happens when shit with my dad comes through and when I start becoming asshole because I'm you know manifesting them through my pain mm-hmm. they can really keep me grounded and they can really keep me yeah. accountable um, in front of myself first of all and in front mm. of other people so for you I'm going to go back to the, the point about the prettiest girl so I wonder how your experience has been because we're in a world where we care about aesthetics and you uh, are a model of sorts, right? What's it like being pretty? (laughs) Because, like, that is a question that me and you were laughing about that we were going to ask you because, like, really, what is it like to be... It's a different experience if you are more aesthetically Mm -hmm. acceptable or pleasing Mm -hmm. in a society as a woman versus... And not to say, like, we're, like I said... But there is a conventional beauty that's accepted mm-hmm. worldwide, and you fit that mold. You're Thank conventionally you. beauty. I don't think there's a person that would be like, oh, no, she's ugly. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So how does it feel? Do you feel, do, do you believe in that beauty? Are you aware that, of it? Are you aware of it? I and think there's two components. When do you doubt it? it yeah. There, there are two components to it. One is, like, do I feel beautiful on a day-to-day basis? Like, not every day. Yeah. You know, I can wake up, nothing changed with my body, but I might feel like absolute awful, trash looking, whatever, <laughs> and walk outside of the street and, and feel awful. But on the other hand, it's a it's a perception of others of you, right, that you mm-hmm. can't deny. Mm-hmm. Like I did I do get attention, right? right? I get things for me done mm-hmm. in a very convenient manner. And there's a certain sense of this huge privilege that comes with that that yeah that I don't recognize on a day-to-day basis, but when I deeply sit down and critically think about it, like, that is that is something that I carry. Yeah. And whether I want it or not, however I feel internally that day, beautiful or not, people treat me a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that is just a whole new component in reality. Let's go. I, I feel you as a pretty girl. <laughs> <laughs> I feel but you. Let's go to when you don't feel pretty and I don't want to like dwell on that I'll be like what makes you feel beautiful yeah, but, but oh my god I got these lashes done in Kazakhstan oh okay I mean they're sharp honey they're sharp. lashes will change anything yeah, yeah. you ain't got a yeah. gloom like mine I'm like, <laughs> I'm like looking I've been like wow <laughs> I look at myself every day and I'm like wow <laughs> <laughs> I love it uh but I know when I am not feeling my best the first thing I look is at my stomach because that used to be the biggest part of me Same. and then my butt because that's never been the biggest part of me and that's always like when I feel the like the quote unquote ugliest because I hate using that word for myself at this point in my life um, I those are the points I look at but I know that half the people that I interact with actually do care about me 
even look at that. Mm -hmm. So what are you, when you feel that negativity, what are you looking at? What what are the small things that Mm -hmm. I'm going to be surprised to when you say them? Mm -hmm. What are you looking at? No, I think it's very much saying, like, I definitely look at my stomach and I'm like, oh, like, well, this girl on Instagram yesterday had this amazing six pack and I don't. So it's always or, a com- it's that competitive yeah, sport. Yeah, or I look at my thighs and I'm like, oh my God, they're not thin enough like this other girl on Instagram. I mean, Instagram is like the hell of all the body positivity. For women, I, I had to follow, no, no, I had to fo- unfollow, like a lot, of, I have to, I don't have to follow gay porn stars, <laughs> but women, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But women, you, if you follow a pretty girl and you like her, she has something that you well, support she and she's pretty. Yeah. And she has a that must still and feel. I and I hear that a lot from my female friends, just like going there. Oh my god, this girl's so hot! Look at this! Like, I'm yeah. pretty. I'm like, you're pretty. I think you're pretty. And, you're, and they're not appreciating <laughs> themselves. They don't appreciate themselves at yeah. all. Yeah. yeah. No, there's a huge discrepancy. I agree. I think. But who said that to you about your thighs? I'm interested to see because when's the last time someone said you don't have a thigh gap? But yeah, because yeah. when's the last time someone actually yeah. said that to you? So here it is. I had a thigh gap when I was like in undergrad sometime and someone actually comment complimented me on that uh-huh. and I think that was more painful because they're noticing you that because, analytically because they noticed me and they were rewarding me for the thigh gap that's like really yeah. skinny though. and you feel like you have to maintain it because it's a compliment holder yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and it's like it's what the and you know surprise surprise it was a man yeah. um but it's this That's not in your life anymore. Positive reinforcement. He was not even a, like a friend. He was oh. acquaintance, <laughs> colleague, whatever. Um, but it's this positive reinforcement that people place, people, community, you know, media puts on positive reinforcing it for certain things, for being obedient, for mm-hmm. looking cute. And I think that's where a lot of the negative messages spin off. So for you, how has it been developing romantic relationships with cisgender males whilst developing your own feminist identity. Yeah. It was very important for me to find partners that embrace or have very strong feminist viewpoint. That respect their mothers. That respect their mothers. <laughs> that correlates. Yeah. If, you, if, a, if a man does not respect his mother, period, yeah. they're not going to respect you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's much more like there's probably a lot to decompress from there, but I think... Mm. There are definitely men that would say, oh, I love my mother, I love my sister, but still perpetuate that. Right, because if their family exactly. members are yeah. upholding it's it. Like, it's like, I'm not a racist, I have a black friend, right? right. But that's also how they, they, they see how... I also, like, I always play devil's advocate with that situation because it's like, yes... They are. They say they love because, but that's how they have been socialized to believe. That's how you love a woman. You can say you love them, and you probably do believe that you love them, but you are have been socialized right. to believe it's okay to treat them like shit yeah, yeah. or to like really like mm-hmm. pick at them for whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I see it in like I said, Latino culture. Women are the first to be joked at, and it's a common theme, and it'll continue to happen. And I, am, am I shady and I laugh too? Yes, yeah, still. <laughs> but I see it as problematic. I see it in black culture. Yeah. Like the first thing you funny, like the Eddie Murphy's Marlon, it's like, I'm going to be a black woman and be yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And that's funny, right? Yeah. No, I think it's, it's very interesting because there are some things that we need to admit that we carry with us, and so yeah. toxicity will always be there, and just lots of work to deconstruct it, but as long as we can recognize that. So how was being vulnerable with men? How is it? Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's a process. Cause she's not single. She. I am in a poly relationship with two cis uh, straight men. Right. Um, we're in a V, so I have an indiv- indiv- individual, independent relationship with each of them. Okay. They don't um, romantically involved with each other, mm-hmm. um, and it's been it's been very um, very growing process. I think for all of us to learn so much about each other, to learn so much about ourselves, to learn what are the roles that we each play uh-huh. in the relationship. So, um, I think re-traumatizing myself with my dad experience from the travel has definitely negatively impacted, um, especially proximity-wise to you know my partner that I cohabit with. Um, and that really was challenging to remove what part of it is coming from the trauma and what part of it is coming from just general, you know, uh, honesty and giving feedback or being constructive about certain right, things right. that you don't like. Um, so the drawing that boundary between am I being too critical or am I just expressing and being honest? And if I'm being too critical, where is it coming from? That has been the most recent kind of conversations. Right, I'm thinking about that now. Like, because if you have that trauma, you're coming home to to males again. To a man, yeah. (laughs) Men that that probably don't, you know, like that probably do resemble some of the habits. 
But uh, like my therapist said this amazing phrase. She said, if it's really activates you, like if it like gets you going, or you get so angry about it, if it activates you beyond the, the rational mm-hmm. part, it's probably coming from childhood. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. Because I had this huge fight about the fucking thermostat. <laughs> A thermostat. Like I should not be mad about thermostat, logically speaking, but I was so mad. And I'm like, why am I mad? And she's like, it's probably <laughs> No, it was too cold for too me. Too cold. Uh, uh, yeah, this girl's gonna get hot, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's probably coming from childhood. And you know, I got so mad because I read the study. They were measuring mathematical performance of men and women under certain temperatures. Mm-hmm. And you wanna guess what the results were? So I'm gonna do better in warm temperatures. Uh, Which makes sense because all the females I've yeah. ever interacted with like, it's too cold in this yeah. office. I'm like, yeah. I'm burning. What are you yeah. talking about? Exactly. <laughs> and the, the graphs, you look at it, they're like directly proportionate. So like the wow. highest performance score for man was lowest performance score for women under the same temperature. Wow. Right? And I mean, and that to me, and I'm like, you guys are just <laughs> taking my opportunity to perform mathematically and hindering that yeah. and undermining my efforts through this one term stat thing. Yeah. Uh, but obviously it's coming from like yeah. not being listened to, not being taken serious, yes. not being, you know, all these That's things the- that I didn't get with my dad. I think you just brought something up that I feel like we we're going to talk about eventually, I think. But also, I had to dig back because recently we hadn't spoken in a while. And I'm, I think I'm, it's, it's safe to just talk about that. That was my phone. I know. <laughs> but I think I had to dig back, too, on why I was so angry about that situation. And I think where that came from for me was I see and I what's it like to be so beautiful I see that in you I've always seen you as a beautiful girl and I was told for so long you're not beautiful you're not well accepted so when I saw things that I felt like you got because and like you get to rely on your laurel sometimes I found that hard to withstand and I, that triggered me because I don't get that privilege mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying yeah. and I think I had to really realize that has still has nothing to do with me who, who, who you're with or what uh, your relationships you have, that has nothing to do with me, as long as they're not negative affecting our relationship mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. or my friend mm-hmm. uh, that are involved. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So I wanted you to understand that. Like, that I, that resonated with me because I understand what you're talking mm-hmm. about. I had to really look at, no, that was a childhood thing. That is um, little baby Rafi feeling ugly and not understanding how, like, how, it's, how it can be so easy for mm-hmm. some time for other people and then not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I want you to just I can't I can't stress enough that also comes from my like I just wanted the best for you and if I see you relying on your laurels or relying on your beauty then I start I can't I can't accept it I can't sit there and like co-sign it just like you said your friends your friends are gonna always tell you if you have boo-boo in your face yeah. Yeah. and I will always tell you that if you have boo-boo in your face yeah. and that was definitely a moment where I felt like I was trying to tell you yeah. you have a boo-boo in your face and I, and I know that's not how I came across and so I just want to acknowledge that yeah. because that really resonated with everything you've been, we've been talking about, yeah. I think, yeah. No, I think you're so right, and I really appreciate you saying yeah. that right now. Because yeah. I think, you know, I definitely rethought the various different things that came to my lap with podcasts or videos or something, talking about how difficult it is to, you know, especially when we just talk about men, straight men, right? We, like, we have this huge insult community that's brewing out there because of this hatred towards women, and we're, we're not recognizing that there are certain things that are very difficult and we don't recognize that there are some people that do get it very easy, mm. whether it is being white man and having privilege or whether it is being a cute girl and getting your way in. Yeah. I think there's definitely that that sense of entitlement that comes with that space. Mm. But, you know, I think something that I recently heard and I would like to share is revolutionary to me personally, to my feminist identity as well, is that what is the role of man in this and how can we recognize the experiences that that toxic masculinity and the culture of kind of female oppression has on man, right? Mm. What what boxes are they playing and filling in and they, they're defined by this structure that we're all defined by mm. to bring it up and recognize that and include that in a part of movement that is liberating for everyone, mm. that is recognizing everyone's beauty besides their appear or uh, certain f- physique or certain physical capacity, right? And I think Absolutely. it has to be encompassed through some kind of larger movement. It's mm-hmm. not a feminist movement anymore. It's yeah. a movement of people that 
reject a certain ideas and do look at each other in a genuine human sense. And I think mm-hmm. being like what you said, you know, I think you're not the only person who's working through this kind of self-image and looking at other people. And, you know, I'm sure there are many women also looking at mm-hmm. other women are saying, why can't I get, get that? Or why mm-hmm. do I feel that way? Mm-hmm. Because they were raised in society where their value was attributed yeah. to their looks. And like, let's redefine it. Let's look at man and what are they going through? It feels, I think for me, it comes from, I feel, I genuinely do believe, I feel like I've accepted mo- like most of the things about myself at this point. And I feel like I... No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but I also see, I also really do believe that I look in the mirror, I'm okay with what I see back. Mm. Like, I, I really am able to, like, if I'm having a bad day, I'm like, but my lips are sexy right now. Yeah. And, that, and I'm really able to believe in those words right there. Mm. But I think what really drove my anger when I see, and I still, I mean, I work at a very posh gay gym where it's all about image and looks. I think what drives me the most is I believe that I'm sexy and it's just so frustrating when you believe it now and then no one's following suit like yeah, you're told that people do sometimes. Yeah, and so I that's what like really drove and I think now that I'm starting to leave the toxic environment of my old job um, and turning it more into a part-time side gig I think I'm able to see more clearly and like accept that that was the darkest one of the darkest points of my self-image mm-hmm. and how I took it out on the people that I love but also kind of fit the mold of those people that have that privilege yeah. and so yeah you were definitely you were definitely you were definitely the the person that i took that out on so i think that was interesting no, yeah i mean it's a good experience to go through to be able to deconstruct it that way and yeah. being able to like really address what is like deeper underlying issue because i think that's like now you know you have that realization but then you can look more compassionately at people that might look at you and mm-hmm. might have that kind of attitude. And oh, yeah. Like, look, like, I get it. Serious, I get yeah. it. Yeah, I get where it's coming from. And also considering, like, just in general, how, you know, the, we do live in toxicity in general when it comes to women's bodies, but women's bodies historically have been kind of preserved as these, like, crystal, like, whatever. Right, they're idols. And man's bodies, or, like, you know, exchange, go to war, sure, whatever, die, whatever, right? Like, we are saving who first? Women and children. Man's bodies and man's lives are, like, spare whatever yeah. like just throw out and that comes with a certain narrative that man build and think and connects with their emotions and you know a lot of these males who may have an issue with women, you hear the same argument, like, where they get everything, and yeah. they don't care about their emotions, and, and it's weird when you're outside of the bubble, because you're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But it's true, their experiences, they don't feel like they are hurt or yeah. seen, and, you know, in the counseling field, if I'm doing a suicide risk assessment, some of the main factors are, are they male, and are they white? And that's just yeah. true, yeah. because they don't get that quote-unquote breathing room, right, yeah. to to be imperfect. They have to be the breadwinner, have yeah. a family, be this. And, and I get it, even though they do have all the money and all the power, yeah. but they still don't get to be themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is where the conflicts come through yeah. and all the hate because mm-hmm. you're like, I can't be myself, so you're not going to be able to do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. You know? it's deeply frustrating, I'm sure. And I think that's why I think feminist movement need to be encompassing of those experiences as well. Like, even on Tinder, if you think about it, right? Like, uh, I think ContraPoints, she transitioned from yeah. a man to a female, and she talks about the fact that as a man, when she was on Tinder, there was silence. And when she transitioned, and now she's passing as a woman, and she's on Tinder again, and there's a sea of dicks, right? And yeah. she's like, to be honest, I'll rather get sea of dicks than absolute silence, because that absolute silence, regardless of how beautiful you feel about yourself, is so deteriorating. Yeah, it's when that reality so, doesn't match what you feel. I mean, because we're animals at the end of the day. We're, we're mating is a part of mm-hmm. life, right. goddammit. And if you feel like you can't do that basic thing, that is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, honey, you just hit the nail on the head, bitch. Oh and when you gosh. know you sexy and put down a good poom poom, that's even more frustrating. <laughs> but I think it's like, I mean, even my character, I'm a new new Paris, mm-hmm. that. but a lot of drag queens yeah. feel that. Like, when I'm in drag, I become another person, and I do feel sexier as a woman yeah. than I do as a male because yeah. I feel my whole fantasy, mm-hmm. and I think I look great, but then as a male, I mean, I still think I look great, but I just don't view it as like, Sexy. I view it as like, okay. Functional. Right. <laughs> Stylish. But that's not it. <laughs> I recently made the comparison um, because I think it's interesting how we view personality and image. And I think image, I would say now, is like um, the body or like aesthetic looks. Where is the body? It's going gonna, it's gonna to deteriorate in 10 years and no one's going to care about it. Yeah. But if you work on yourself and your personality, that's where that's real estate. That, mm-hmm. That's an investment and that can lead to something more, much more prosperous for you than... Uh, what what 
having an exterior prettiness will ever do. Um, and I think men are social, are real estate, are treated like real estate. We get better with age for some, house for some reason. We get respected more with age, and with women, it seems to follow this complete opposite. Yeah. As you, you as music industry, like you're yeah. too old, get out next, yeah. and <laughs> it's just crazy. Even it's, with graying, right? It's like salt and pepper for yeah. guys, and women start graying hair. Like, yeah. Must see that. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. one hundred, and so those are just like clear. Uh, differences. <laughs> so I'm wondering, what would you tell little Sabina? Like, if you could go back right now, what she's looking exactly at you right, there, that right here would you tell? And look at that chair. She's right there. Really, yeah. allow yourself that moment because I feel as though we've gone back, and there's some things that I know. I thought he was going to call you the other name, <laughs> and I know that name triggers you. And so look at that girl with that what? name. Because <laughs> I literally thought he was going to say the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I, and I wonder, because I feel like at the end of the day, ima- like imagine if little Sabina was sitting there and then someone called her that name and then you sat there and be like, oh, I hate that name. Mm-hmm. How would that little girl react to such a, you know, that she would find that as an attack. And therefore, do you feel like sometimes that's an attack on yourself? And I, like, I really want to... No, I really do. I really want her to, like, see, like, can't, like, does that still correlate and manifest through that, too? That's a loaded question there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of negativity in general that that little Sabina went, right? And yeah. I think the ownership of that experience is a big part of owning you know whatever name that tends to associate with it that's a one big part but also like not taking shit yeah stop taking shit stop taking shit don't don't do stuff that value that that adds value to you that drives you home to what is pleasant and comfortable and safe I think safety is such a big part that we frequently disregard how we yeah. deal in certain situations. Yeah. And being tuned to what makes that little Sabina safe and doing that is probably a survival mechanism. So what would you tell... Because, you know, what we don't do it is international. So <laughs> what would you tell other uh, little girls in Eastern Europe or just any immigrant about developing that feminist identity and really... Um, honing your own mm-hmm. your own power. Yeah. What advice do you have for them? Find a safe space in a society where people hold space for you to be who you are, and stick to that. And if they and can't find that space. And if they can't find their space, they're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, that is very sad, right? If a woman looks for a space to be and feel safe and that space doesn't exist in, in the, I mean we talk about immigrant crisis and that's yeah. probably reality for a lot of children and a lot of young girls and a lot of women um, if you can't find space make one I think there's a lot of there's a lot of power in being able to just be you rather than possess some kind of superficial like power in, in education or instruments or having a, a gun on you or something is it's 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 all good but it's not enough and I think a lot of it is you really staying true to yourself. Manifesting yourself through a circle of people that you know you are mm-hmm. gonna be safe and that will give you power. Um, you know they say power numbers and I yeah. think as a woman especially I imagine an immigrant um, an immigrant crisis or just a woman in Eastern Europe, you need to cultivate that area around yourself where you can be safe, you can be um, happy, and you can be yourself. I think that's really important because, you know, we all have friends, and yeah. but they don't really serve that yeah. safe. I love safe, that. So. Thank you for just being open and honest as we've talked about feminism and this so was such a good many interview. ways. Um, Yes, we really just appreciate you being open and vulnerable about your, your experiences and being willing to talk about all of the facets, yeah. right, as, you, as you've as grown and uh, lived here. So, any final thoughts? Any final thoughts, yeah. Just very happy and very um, 
uh, blessed to be here. <laughs> this is an amazing opportunity to share. And, you know, this is a part of healing, too. Like you mentioned from the intention of the podcast, really, this is obviously a long conversation that doesn't end here. So I'm really excited to see where you guys are going to take it with other people and, mm. and what other um, important kind of conversations I can hear out from this space. So I'm really looking forward and very excited. So really grateful for all your yes. questions, too. Are you ready to sign off? So, this has been your girl, Nunu Paris. And Rafi. And Sabina Grandiroba. And this has been... Wait, Wait don't, don't do it. it! Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Spotify Google, Google Play, Play also, YouTube, everything. Also, follow us on Instagram, Wait, Don't Do It, and... Sabina, tell your handle yes. so people can follow you and see oh, how pretty you are. If you guys can spell it, S. Grandorova. <laughs> we'll put it in the promo. <laughs> Thank You'll you be, for being here. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye, boo. Bye. Bye.